It is a center for higher learning. It is a place with centuries of secrets in its shadowed halls. This is where you have come to learn the mysteries of the cosmos. Welcome to the Miskatonic University Podcast. We'll teach you things you can't unlearn. Brought to you by CryptoCurium.com. Hello, and welcome to the Miskatonic University Podcast, episode 58. This is the podcast dedicated to Call of Cthulhu and other horror and Lovecraft-related role-playing games. I'm Keeper Dan. And I'm Keeper John. Welcome, everyone. I'm Keeper Murph. Glad to have you here. In this episode, we're going to discuss how to keep a game going when characters, you know, don't last the whole scenario. And for the main topic... Dan talks to the guys from Warpo Toys about their Lovecraftian retro figure line. First, we're going to start with the Campus Crier. Miskatonic University Campus Crier. Campus Criers, Miskatonic U's student paper. Here's going to go through feedback for the podcast and any news we need to share. And this episode is recorded on June 15th, 2014. I want to start off with uh, something pretty cool. We've been put into the running by one of our listeners, I don't know who, for a Parsec Award. Awesome! awesome. This is a award uh, system that's strictly for podcasts that uh, has been going for a number of years now. I mean, it's like eight uh, or nine years. 2006. Yeah. Yeah, I think 06 or something like that, yeah. And that it's uh, held each year at Dragon Con in Atlanta. And that's I was kind of shocked to receive the email from them saying that, yeah, we've been nominated for a Parsec, and here's what I do to submit and all that. We've only got the very first stages of it. The way it works is I pick a category which the category that I went ahead for for our show was Best Speculative Fiction Fan or News Podcast Specific. Which is, That's pretty specific in its own right, but yeah, yeah that makes well, sense. Here's our description for the category. News and commentary podcasts created by and for the fans of a given type of literary or entertainment work or series of works that have elements of speculative fiction, i.e. podcasts focused on H.P. Lovecraft, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, or World of Time. So, that would be us. That makes sense. Yep. It's kind of tricky because we only get a 10-minute clip to showcase our podcast. Oh, Lord. Along with a 30-second introduction. So, I did this yesterday, and I uh, did a quick little introduction told him what the show is generally about and you know these clips are from 
episode this and this. And what clips did you use, Dan, just out of morbid curiosity? I started off with uh, one of Chad's uh, history segments. Well, that's always a good choice. Yeah, Uh because those are, you know, well edited and everything. So the dates that they had it limited to was from uh, May of last year through April of this year. So what I did is I grabbed one of the good ones from that period that both of the clips wound up being from this year. So the St. Patrick Gatekeeper of Hell history segment. Oh, cool. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is cool. And then I've got, that was about four minutes. And then the remainder remainder of it, so about six or so minutes of our talk with uh, Mike from episode 50. Oh, good. So it's got all four of us with Mike. And it goes, you know, cool. fairly deep into the podcast or into the role playing game, which is our main topic. So I thought that worked well. Awesome. And it's got uh, all four of us and decent choices. audio. And so, yeah. So hopefully that does pretty well. And so I submitted that yesterday. Today was the final day for it. I had completely forgotten about it for about a week or two. Then oh, just no. remembered it again and went, oh, crap. And looked at the dates and went, oh, good. I'm still, you know, within. <laughs> I think if I remember correctly, a parsecs are, uh, um, they judge on audio quality as well. So, yeah. you know, it's, uh, they're, I like the parsec awards personally. I, I, I was a listener to uh, Farpoint Media and, um, uh, the, uh, um, some of their, um, oh, what the heck was the name of their, uh, Dragon Page cover to cover was their podcast. I listen. I used to listen to that all the time back in the day. Uh, and that's hosted by Michael R. Menengay, um, or was hosted by Michael R. Menengay, and then Michael Stackpole, the author. Oh, uh, nice. And Michael R. Menengay is the guy from Far Bermuda that they created the Parsec Awards. So that's. Uh, oh. Yeah, I used to listen to those too. I'm trying to remember what, what shows I, was, I would listen to. The uh, Slice of Sci Fi is their best. Yeah, their biggest yeah, deal, yeah, I think. Yeah, that was it. That's I, was, a good I one. used to. I used to listen to Slice of Sci-Fi. It's been a while. Yeah, it's still around, actually. Uh, Michael Armenegay is still doing that. Unfortunately, Dragon Page cover to cover has kind of ceased, which is really unfortunate because that was my favorite podcast. I would listen to that religiously, but oh well. C'est la vie. Yeah, I've listened to a couple of shows that have had you know a lot of good coverage in there. Uh, one of my shows that got me started into listening to podcasts is called The Signal which is a Firefly podcast, and mm-hmm. they've won it a few times. That's a good yeah. podcast, actually. I used to listen to that back in the day as well. Yeah, yep, and they're still going. Are they Not, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, they've moved to a, I believe it's a monthly format. Oh, okay. But, you are know, they, they've been going for... Are they still for, real long? It's about an hour. I don't know. Oh, that's not bad, then. Yeah, you know, not bad for a show that had 14 episodes in a movie. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> been going for over a decade now i think so that's yeah, amazing <laughs> yeah but and it's always fantastic but so yeah we've been submitted for that uh if we wind up in the running for actually being you know possibly gonna win something um we'll probably have to have somebody that uh is part of our community who's actually going to dragon con that could maybe accept the award just in case, because you know, I'm, I'm crazy. not going and <laughs> I'm not I would going love either. to. <laughs> and, 
And on the downside, we wound up missing the window for submitting for Annie's. Oh. I thought it was <sighs> later than it was, and I also kind of... A, I don't know why, but I sort of expected the usual uh, grapevine that I listened to to have a notice of, hey, you know, Annie's submissions are open now, and, well, it didn't. And I decided... I blame that on the Jovian calendar. That's that's not your fault. That's the Jovian calendar fault. Okay. (laughs) I decided to go ahead and take a look and said, nope, it's already closed. So, that means that... uh, Going to the Ennies, not really much point there, so we'll be we'll be attending the uh, Goodman Games panel. Yay! <laughs> I was gonna say that. So now we can. Now you're free and clear to come to the Goodman. Well, Games panel. see, yep. the thing is, is we really, we really, really wanted to give the other con- uh, contestants this year for the Ennie in our category a better shot of winning, and we knew that if if our awesomeness was present in the list, that it would just not be fair. So, you're welcome, other people. <laughs> yeah, because so we were such a force to be reckoned with yes, last year. The first time, yeah, yeah, last year was so amazingly uh, in our favor that we figured we'd level the playing field a little bit, renounce our our, our own uh, submission, yeah, and the Jovian calendar. Both of those came to play. Uh huh. Hmm. Let me let me believe that for a little while, okay, Dan? Okay. So the um, just a, a side note: our alumni dinner signups are going to continue up until July twenty first, and you can still get in on this dinner at Gen Con by going to uh, mu-podcast.com slash dinner, and you can sign up there for it as well. Uh, if we don't get enough people, though, we are going to uh, have to not do the dinner, and we'll just end up. Uh, probably just eating at the Ram instead with everyone instead of uh, actually renting out the room and, and uh, yeah. paying for food and stuff like that. So, yeah. And just to clarify, basically we've not had anybody sign up after the Indiegogo campaign was done and we need, you know, probably another five to seven people just to break even on the room and food. So what we're doing is, we're giving it till the 21st for more people to sign up. If we don't reach that break-even point, then we're just going to call it done and cancel the, the whole thing and uh, send money back uh, for the dinner. And But if we do get enough people, then the openings will stay until August 1st because that's when I have to give them a head count. So I want to give as much opportunity as possible. But if we don't you know, reach you know, minimum attendance by uh, the 21st, then we're just going to call it done. Hey, Dan, if a listener uh, goes to uh, mu-podcast.com forward slash dinner, and they're trying to, you know, self-navigate through and, and, and add themselves to the alumni dinner, dinner list, uh, but they're not sure if it's happened right, or they're not sure if the payment went through, or if they just have questions. Um, who could they contact? Well, they can go to the forums and send me a private message, or they can use well any of our many many ways of contacting us. You know, it it'll okay. send you an email uh, after the uh, purchase to as kind of a receipt. And if you want to okay. just make so sure it went know. through, then, you know, you can just email me and because I'll receive a notice if somebody were to sign up for it. All right, cool. 
I just wanted to put that out there just in case someone needed, you know, some assistance. Yeah. Yep. We're pretty easy to get a hold of. And at this point, we are seven days away for the Age of Cthulhu 8 Starfall over the Plateau of Lang Kickstarter, written by Yay. our own Mr. John here. Yay. And you keep piling on more free stuff that you're uh, adding to this that aren't even part of stretch goals. What's wrong with you? Yeah, I know. We're we're crazy but we're trying to you know get some enthusiasm going and 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 uh reach some of the other uh, stretch goals for the uh, campaign and now campaign has two new updates um one is that fat dragon games has kind of joined in on the kickstarter uh and this is good for for anyone of, of any pledge level if you add on at least one other add-on adventure to, to your contribution, uh, Fat Dragon Games will send you a free copy of their Shrine of Cthulhu paper model set from Fat Dragon Games. Um, have you guys ever taken a look at that? Uh, I Shrine have, and it's yeah, it's crazy. I, I have it. It's very cool. I haven't it, built it. it. Oh, you have it? Yeah. Oh, okay, I was going to ask PDFs, you to build it, but I haven't actually built it because I only play online and building models and right. minis and stuff doesn't make a lot of sense. I hear you. <laughs> but there was a sale that was on and I figured, eh, why not? And so I got it so I could at least look at all the cool graphics they did with it. It's really neat. Yeah. Very cool. So it's very cool. It's, you know, you can, you can construct that, uh, for your, for your meat space game and have an encounter where you're, where you've got your standing stones and a, a shrine to Cthulhu. Yep. And um, a great so, gate on the ground, and you can even have like a right, tentacle, a tentacle that comes up out of it, yeah. which looks <laughs> vaguely great. like a giant version of our cover to cephalophobia. It does. <laughs> it it does. does. Except that instead of a, 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 a confused or, or evil looking um, teenager, you have like this tombstone esque looking uh, Cthulhu statue in front of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And little figures of cultists and investigators. Yeah. You have to have the uh, the 1920s flapper running with her pistol. You know, that's yeah. like a given. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. So that's the first update. The other update is we've added in another stretch goal level uh, at the $7,000 level, uh, which we're, or we're closing in on, uh, where we're going to add in another uh, mini-adventure uh, that I've titled The Gang's All Here. And it is going to be set in uh, Eureka Springs. So that's not really giving anything away. That part of the uh, uh, the Starfall of Plateau of Lang adventure has the, the investigators traveling to the town or the city of Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Uh, and then from there, they would have to figure out a way to transition to the Dreamlands. Well, this mini-adventure is set in Eureka Springs. So... Um, it could be for characters that, and, and this could happen where, where the keeper has players that just do not want to transition to the dreamland. Say, you know what? I think we're going to let that go. You know, that kind of thing. Well, this will be a mini adventure that they could spin off into or encounter maybe as they're, uh, trying to figure out a way to get into the dreamlands. And then suddenly this, uh, this problem crops up. So nice. And it could be, I could easily see being uh, 
transplanted into other locations if if a keeper needed to. They could, you know, take that mini adventure and move it if needed. I can I'll, actually, if you'd like, I can read the blurb that uh, I put out for it. Uh, Eureka Springs is all a buzz. No one can stop gossiping about the gang of strangers that just rolled into town. They look like drifters dressed in leathers and denim emblazoned with a leering skull in a full moon across their backs. The grizzled leader of the gang strode into Rosie's Diner on US-62, unkempt, unwashed, unshaven. Half his face was covered in burn scars, and he wore a necklace with two fingers dangling from it. He asked for a cup of coffee and where it would be the best place to dig for crystals. And when he paid for his coffee, Rosie noticed that he was missing two fingers on his right hand. Yeah. So that's like an that's like a Outer Limits or a, a Twilight Zone episode just waiting to happen. Yeah, <laughs> I, I remember whenever I first started uh, uh, reading the description, the first parts of it and i'm thinking oh it's talking about the investigators no one can stop doss gossiping about the <laughs> gang of strangers that just rolled into town they look like drifters and then and then <laughs> it mentioned leather and denim with a leery skull I'm like, oh okay but until that point i, I was thinking oh it's it, it's something about the investigators coming into town and I have to admit that if you've ever played in one of my games that could easily be some of my investigators <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible but, but true. it's true <laughs> it's bad. okay anyway <laughs> maybe you should maybe you should write up the alternate version of that told from the investigator slash cultist point of view <laughs> right <laughs> we're just trying to help yeah. i, I want to keep a hold of my fingers but yeah i mean super inexpensive to jump in on this kickstarter seven dollars for pdf 25 dollars for physical and yeah, it's, it's not awesome. just a, a pdf for the seven bucks you're going to get two pdfs uh you're going to get the pdf of starfall over the plateau of lang plus one other age of cthulhu adventure in pdf and then at the 25 dollar you get the physical copy of the hardcover adventure uh, Starfall. You get a PDF copy of Starfall, and you get a PDF copy of any other Age of Cthulhu adventure. And then, if you add on on either of those tiers, if you add on one other Age of Cthulhu adventure that you want to purchase, mm -hmm. you're going to also get the uh, Fat Dragon paper models for the uh, for that Cthulhu idol. Yep, and they've got twenty five percent cool. off all the Age of Cthulhu stuff. Yep. So you can Which also makes add most in of them John's just other bucks. scenario, Timeless Sands of India, for seven bucks for a PDF or ten dollars for printed. So, yep. What a steal! Yep. It's a deal. It's a steal of a deal. Steal of a deal. Study the work of your school librarian, and perhaps you can secure permission to assist. This is a link that I'm not sure who it was that put this into the our uh, show notes. It might have been Chad. Yeah, I think it was Chad. This is an archive from the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society of a Cthulhu live RPG that these guys have been doing. And it's a kind of an archive 
of their scenarios. Yeah, for those who don't know, the uh, HPLHS got their start back in the day um, by doing live plays as a group. You know, as a bunch of dudes get together with their friends and they do a live play of Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. And this is their archive of, of the ones that they've bothered to write up and, um, you know, kind of give the info for the for the game out for anyone else who wants to attempt it. Um, and I actually, I'm glad he put this in here because I used to look through this religiously back, you know, a number of years ago and then kind of forgot about it. So it's cool to come back to it now. And there's a few extras in here since I actually looked at it last um, that I can now read through again. But it's uh, it's a really cool uh, concept, the fact that they were able to write some of these up. And when I say write them up, man, they really do a job of writing them up. Yeah. Um, there's quite a bit of info in there for them. And then there uh, are photos. Be, yeah, it's great. Artifacts and documents that they made for it because, well, these guys are prop makers. And yeah, I mean, they went all out. I remember in an interview on um, Yogg Radio with these guys, it was like one of the very early episodes of Yogg Radio, that they started off with Tabletop Call of Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. And then just you know, to see what it was like, they decided to create a live action version of it. And uh, they just kind of never turned back from that. Huh. It's, it's very cool. I mean, they've, uh, I would have loved to have been in on some of their live play games. It seems like they just go all out and have all kinds of crazy fun at it. Yeah. And, and, and I'm not sure I completely understand. Are they, are they doing the LARP? Are they doing Cthulhu live? Or are they playing uh, they just made tabletop up their own Cthulhu? thing? Because yeah, they, the Cthulhu Live, I don't think, really existed yet when they started doing it. In like right, they started doing 84. this in '84. Yeah. All right. So I mean, this this predated the LARP, uh, the official LARP, by a number of years, and so they they just took their own, uh, took the tabletop and then morphed it so that they could do it as a live play. Because a lot of those guys are in the or wanted to be uh, in the movie or showbiz in some form or fashion. And a lot of them are now. Um, and this is a way for them to get their acting out, I guess. <laughs> and so they came up with a way to do it uh, live play. And it was, it's quite a, it's quite impressive. The photos and stuff that you can see of some of these old games and to look at the young versions of uh, Sean and, and Andrew and, some of the other people that are uh, associated with HPLHS over the years uh, playing in these games from the eighties the through the n- late nineties, I believe. Huh? Yeah. It's really, it's really cool. Yeah. I'm looking through uh, fate of the ancients part one and I'm checking out the pictures in there. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, they, they really break it down quite well. I mean, they have, the game notes and then they have the story of what's happening in the background. They have like some player write-ups for all the characters that are involved. And then they, they of course have the font, uh, the photos uh, showing the game in progress, the font, the props that they created, um, things of that nature. You know, it's, it's really, it's really pretty cool. The fonts for what we're doing, you know, with the tabletop, uh, the story write-up, the, the, overview of the entire game and then the props are, are what you can really 
um, rip this out and and just run these as tabletop games without hardly any work at all on your end. So if you've got a group coming up and you know and you a game coming up and you want to do as little bit of prep work as possible, these guys have done quite a bit of work for you already. Um, it, it works out really well. Uh, you have to just kind of improvise some of the stat rolls and stuff, but you know it's not not a big deal for uh, for most keepers out there. Wow, this is just really really cool. I like this. I'm gonna have to dig through this and just kind of yeah see what's going on. Yep. And yeah, there's all sorts of great stuff in here. Great story seeds. Yeah. Oh wow. So like you know, I, I just picked one that sounded cool, Fate of the Ancients, and uh, the players on that were uh, Sean uh, Branny, Daryl, which you hear his name all the time mm-hmm. on those H.P. Uh, uh, Lovecraft uh, Historical Society recordings and stuff. Um, Andrew Lehman was in that. Matthew Lehman. Uh, just a lot of names that you've heard before, so it's kind of cool. It's really cool, yeah. It's cool to see the pictures of them really young, dressed up as you know, 1920s investigators or cultists uh-huh. or whatever. It's really, it's really cool to see. They really had a great time with it. And then to think about how they took that and morphed it into the, you know, the, the Cthulhu prop and quiche market that they have now is, is really awesome. Um, it, it just kind of took a life of their own. It's really a, it's really an awesome, uh, an awesome webpage. I'm glad that he added it in. That is so cool. I love some of the pictures from their uh, game props. Yeah, yeah. Doing props is one of the things that, you know, basically they built their whole business around. And it Mm -hmm. definitely shows that they know what they're doing. It's beautiful stuff. So pop on in there, take a look around, and just kind of see what they were doing. And, you know, maybe it'll inspire somebody to get a live-action Cthulhu thing going where they're at. For our Crypticurium uh, item mentioned today, decided to pick out a neat little thing. This is the Luminescent Mego artifact. This is, it. It's basically it looks like a sculpture that uh, was carved by hand. That it has a depiction of Mego. And the neat thing is the fact that the resin that Jason McKittrick uses to make these things, the resin itself glows in the dark. <laughs> it's a really cool effect. It is a cool effect. Yeah. I love I love this work where it's like a bas relief kind of thing. Mm-hmm. This would look so cool in a uh, in a shadow box type of framing format, you know? Oh yeah. I have a couple of, of uh Jason's um bar relief style pieces and they are fantastic i i think he does those better than almost anyone else that i've seen um they're great stuff and they make perfect props you can just like throw it down in front of you we've mentioned that a hundred times before i know but it's it doesn't get old They, they i mean you can build entire stories and and uh games around just the props themselves it's it's good stuff yeah, yeah, and I'm not really sure exactly where he found glow-in-the-dark resin, or if he's just putting something in. Oh yeah, you it can mixing. Oh, you can buy that stuff. But that, you can that's you can buy cool. glow-in-the-dark resin, oddly enough. Okay. Yeah, it's really awesome. I, there's a couple of them that he's done glow-in-the-dark over the years, yeah. and they they really do come out quite awesome. Um, you know, they're they're photosensitive, so you, they kind of charge like 
by you know absorbing the light uh, ambient light in the room or whatever yeah and then you know you flip the lights out and then they have this eerie glow for a couple hours it's really it's really quite awesome yeah freaky especially if you're playing it like you should be playing uh call cthulhu you know in person which is in a darkened room and uh, eerie mood music and then you toss down this artifact that just got this weird glow to it it's it's very disconcerting <laughs> Dude, don't, don't toss it it'll probably break it will not break uh <laughs> these things are built like a tank man um i've dropped one of his pieces from about three feet onto a hard cement floor and it just bounced away um <laughs> <laughs> wasn't on purpose. In fact, I think one of you might own it now. But uh, it, it's, uh, <laughs> it didn't come out armed in any way whatsoever. <laughs> Would that Maybe be the uh, Eskimo artifact I've got? No, no, it's okay. the one John has. Okay. Oh, damn it. I'm going to go check. <laughs> Look for little small indentation marks on the corners is all I'm saying. No, there's nothing Which, there. It doesn't the make any mark of these, it. you know. <laughs> Who's gonna notice? You can't tell. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, they're they hold up really, really well. Um, they're lots of fun too. So, I like this uh, quote. I and I'm assuming this is a quote he's pulled from uh, "Whisper in Darkness," but it says from the journal of Professor Albert M. Wilmarth. An odd relief sculpture carved from a luminescent stone found on the Migo home planet depicts an odd. I'd idealized, I cannot read today, Migo among yet-to-be-deciphered alien hieroglyphs. Artifact room uh, emanates a green glow when in darkness. So it looks like these are notes from uh, Wilmarth's book. And uh, and then there it is. There's the, uh, the relief right there. Mm-hmm. It's very awesome. It's a cool little piece. And it is super cheap, too. Yeah, it is. It's forty bucks, and then there's shipping on top of that, obviously. But forty bucks is is cheap for a really uh, good so. sculpture. And then this one's got the bonus of glowing, right? And in, this in the U.S. Uh, they're that about is shipped, you know, forty bucks shipped. Uh, yeah, okay. fifty. Oh, that's oh, international shipping's extra. But yeah, oh, it's forty bucks awesome. shipped. So that's that's a, a steal, man. That is steal. And uh, it's it's four and a quarter by five and three quarter inches. Uh, I have another one of this exact size, uh, and it is, uh, it's much larger than you think it is. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Uh, they're pretty good sized. Yeah. You figure a dollar bill is six inches long. So it's a, almost as tall as a dollar bill. That's, that's a pretty good size. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say it's bigger than that. Honestly, maybe I'm, maybe I'm thinking of a different one, but the one I have is, it, it's quite large. They're, they're great though. The same style with that that uh, border around the edge and it, it's just such good stuff. I can't get over that anyway. Yeah. Yep. Pop on over. Link will be in the show notes. Take a look. Awesome. Got some paper and pencil. It's time for your second topic. So the next piece is a, uh, an email we got from Wolf uh, and he says, hi guys, keep writing in. You said, Be careful what you wish for. Here's my next email. Today I have a question from the perspective of a player. Our group is playing, is still playing Massive Gnarl of the Tub. After exactly one year real time, we've left New York in a hurry and have arrived in London. Our group has lost two of four PCs yet, 
one crippled to the wheelchair, one killed, turned into an undead and cremated by his shaken comrades. The third one narrowly escaped a certain artist's relative and is now on the edge of insanity. So far, nothing uncommon for this campaign, I suppose. At this rate, I should be prepared for replacing my character soon. Here's my question. Which plausible way do you, as experienced keepers and players, suggest to create backup characters who have... A, a connection to the initial PC group, and B, a motivation to further follow the trail into death and or madness. And C, how could my initial character hand down the information he has gathered to the backup? It should neither become metagaming, metagaming nor playing Call of Cthulhu in a choose-your-own-adventure style. The player, me, uh, should not have to rely on knowledge he gathered with previous investigators, but there should be a credible way that said predecessor can convey the essential insights, ergo plot points, to the new character. Well, that's three questions. I hope you don't mind, but I believe this topic could be interesting for other less experienced players, too. Maybe you can discuss this in one of the next podcasts. Thanks for you. Uh, thanks. Thank you. Good grief. I can't read. I'm sorry. Well, Man, you made thank, it all the way to the last sentence. I know, right? Man, I did. Well. well, thank you for your advice in advance. Best regards, Wolf. And I'm sorry for butchering your last sentence, Wolf. Great, great email. Great questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. And it's, I thought it was really cool because I'm actually running masks myself right now and fighting this exact fight. Um, it's uh, I, I set up some rules ahead of time uh, when we began the campaign uh, regarding masks. You know, particular in, in particular the the introduction of new characters, knowing that. Um, the uh, the bunch of assholes that I play with. Um, sorry, you can cut that or blurp it if you want, Dan. But oh well. Uh, are tend to go through a high body count. So the rules that I implemented was that a if you bring in another character, it has to be a character that's been brought in from that location that you're at. So if you die in London, your next character has to be a Londoner. If you die in Nairobi or Kenya, uh, you have to your next character has to be in uh, Kenya. Uh, etc. Uh, second, if at all possible, the character that you bring in has to be at least a named or, uh, or unnamed. It doesn't really matter. It has to be an NPC that we've encountered in the past. For instance, um, whenever you get to London and you go to the Scoop uh, tabloid newspaper over on Fleet Street and meet Mickey Spillane, or not Mickey Spillane. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's a very Mickey different Spillane. Game. That's a whole, oh, well, you know, have you played one? No, um, <laughs> meet, um, Mickey, whatever the heck his name is. I just went blank. Rory. But, uh, no, <laughs> Mouse. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Mickey Rourke and Mickey's mantle, Mickey mantle. <laughs> God help us. Okay. If, when you meet him, we also met a, a reporter, uh, that, that helped out. And eventually that reporter became a player character. Um, also we have a lawyer that, that helped get our guys out of trouble in London as well. Um, he's actually going to be a player character next session, uh, for us because, um, my guys did some silly stuff this last game. But, uh, so, I mean, that's one way that we did it. Um, now, so far as picking up the investigation, if you have like a TPK or something of that nature, we set up a very elaborate, or the players did, I, I didn't, but the, my players set up a very elaborate system of 
returning information back to a home base. So they had actually left a player character in New York City uh, on purpose. And one of the guys just made up a whole new character uh, before leaving New York uh, to continue with that, uh, that, you know, with the campaign as a whole. The original character he left in New York with the sole purpose of being the hub of information, basically. And they had set up a number of rules that, that they had kept uh, at hand so that whenever they find something new, or uh, new bits of information, stuff like that. Each of the investigators kept their own diary. Uh, and then that diary, uh, they added to each night. Uh, and then every day, one of the characters would go through the diaries, compile any new bits of information into one coherent piece of one document, I guess, and then send that document back to New York um, for records keeping, essentially. Also, if they came across any artifacts that were not immediately useful uh, or which they could not see a use for at the moment, uh, there was an understanding that they would send those back to New York as well. Uh, And so what this allowed them to do is if they had an instance where, uh, you know, most of the party was wiped out and they had to bring in some new guys they could be brought up to speed fairly quickly on what was uh, encountered uh, by the previous group so that we could keep the campaign going, even though we lost our initial characters that, that started, you know, so at this point uh, there's, there's only one character in our group that still has any recollection of Jackson Elias. Everyone else is through hearsay. basically. <laughs> uh, and we've just hit London just like you are. We've only been in London for five days and we've burned down half the city or something. I don't know. Uh, these guys are nuts. But um, <laughs> it, that, that's, how we, uh, that's how we've dealt with it. So that when we bring new people in, there is a, a definitive uh, trail of evidence that they can go back to and reference uh, that should allow everyone to be brought up to speed. Now, as a side note to that, uh, one of the actual players – or a number of the players, we keep a Google Docs um, document uh, of nothing but mass notes that's gotten to be quite impressively large at this point. So whenever they come across anything, they make a note in there. And that's the real-world version of their investigator backups. So that if it's not mentioned in there, uh, what I do is, it, well, it's not in your notes. That means that you don't have that in your um, your backup that went to New York so that no other player character will know of that. And that's actually forced them to keep really well, really good notes as well. Um, which is good on both accounts is I forget things and it turns out that they've written them down or, um, or they've forgotten things and, and didn't realize they had written it down. On the flip side, though, if if they forget about it altogether and they don't write it down, it's almost like that never happens whenever the the new characters comes in because they have no knowledge of that. So you can almost replay parts of the campaign again because they uh, they didn't have the notes in there. Uh, the same thing happens if if the they have an encounter in which most of the group is dead or all of the group dies. You know, you could have that situation where that part you know, um, is not transferred over to the notes because no one was left living to do it. So the new group would pick up and you could essentially replay the same exact scenario over again um, with that one encounter that killed everyone uh, because no one 
lived to pass the notes on. And so that's, that's kind of where we're at right now is, uh, there, you know, that's how we handled the, the new, uh, replacement characters and, and the flow of information from one group to the next, if need be. Um, and then the repository of junk that you end up acquiring throughout the, the campaign as a whole. What about you guys? Did y'all have some other ideas on how you could do that? Um, mine are kind of similar. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm drawing it upon information that I learned from the book river of doubt, uh, which is a recounting of, uh, former president Theodore Roosevelt's actual journey down an unexplored river of the, uh, of the Amazon, uh, an unexplored tributary of, of the Amazon. And, uh, he had, collected and put together a, a, a party of people that were going to go on this trip with him. And it was going to uh, be, now he was former president by this point. Uh, so it was going to be kind of like a press junket of some sort for um, some of the people in uh, Brazil. I forget exactly the initial details, but they knew they were going to go on this, this river journey because they were, they were making all the plans and, buying supplies uh, in New York and all this stuff. Uh, and so they, they brought these people down. But throughout the entire journey, going to Rio, uh, Rio de Janeiro and going to a few other cities, they were constantly sending letters back um, uh, home. Uh, and in fact, um, Teddy wanted one of his daughters to come down and visit. Um, and so... You know, he's sending letters back to his daughter to, hey, why don't you come down here? And, you know, it's one-way communication. So he's sending letters out. He's not able to receive letters in because nobody knows where to deliver the post to him. But he's able to send post out. So he had no idea that his daughter got, you know, terribly ill on the on the ship uh, ship journey uh, south. And so she wasn't able to, to catch up. Plus... You know, at some point he was in an area where he couldn't send letters out anymore. So you don't know what's happening to, to Teddy and to, to his son Kermit, who was uh, on the journey with him. You don't know what's happening to them in that journey. So I thought about that in Call of Cthulhu terms. And so, and if you apply that to, say, masks, you could have characters uh, writing personal letters back home to either family members or associates. Uh, especially if you, uh, as a keeper, if you're running a campaign that uses a uh, a group that 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 can be a pool for other characters, or and also give um, uh, plausible reasons for why these uh, you know misfit gang members are you know coming together to to solve a mystery. Um, you could have your characters send occasional letters back uh, to a to a home base or to a person, and only allow them to send certain letters as they hit locations where where post is possible. Like, okay, now that you've hit London, do you want to write a letter? And then have you know them document this is what they send, and then you know kind of highlight and say, okay, from here back uh, in the notes, this is what a previous character would have access to. That gets, you know, you archive that and say, okay, this is what we can send back. And especially if it happens not as a group, uh, a hive mind 
type of, of approach, but if it's from an individual player approach, that could be interesting too, because now a replacement character would only have a, uh, a, a more narrow window of what they can understand and have as prior knowledge. And maybe the motivation is, gee, I stopped getting letters from my, from my good friend and coworker of this group, or, you know, my uncle who I'm, you know, super tight with because we have similar interests. I know he's on this adventure and I've stopped getting letters. I want to go and find him, make sure he's okay. You know, or, you know, I want to go find my coworker and, and, see what's going on with that mystery. And so, yeah, I was, I, I kind of thought about that whole, uh, Teddy Roosevelt adventure and the way he would, you know, try and communicate back and, or even other people in the party could communicate back. Uh, there was a, there was a, a preacher that went with him on that journey and, and a lot of letters were sent out. That's, uh, he would do a lot of documentation and send letters back, uh, to different museums and stuff like that as they were doing their journey. Now, um, one thing I, I forgot to mention is the motivation to further follow the trail into death and or madness. Uh, I've brought in some new players to the campaign who I, I make very good use of backstory. Um, and I, I force the character or the players to, to create a, a fairly decent backstory uh, with contacts and stuff like that so that I can use that as well to bring in kind of like what your description of, uh, you know, the uncle uh, going missing and his nephew finding him. Uh, in in our case, it was um, um, a, a, um, a stage magician noticed that his benefactor, his his matron, had had been murdered, basically in New York. Who was the wife of one of the player characters, and then through that and another bit of uh, befudgery on my part, you know that got that player into the game. So I mean, backstories. Um, play a good part in that as well and trying to just introduce new characters in general. Absolutely. Yeah, and the this general concept was why I created up the Miskatonic University Paranormal Society was to make it easier to bring in characters as necessary and, you know, a that home base idea of where you're sending documentation and other people that didn't have to be your wife's second cousin, you know, trying to find out what happened. It, it's actually people who are into the same kind of weird stuff that would be inclined to actually pick up the trail. Yeah, I have to admit that it would have been a lot easier if I had just said, okay, you're all members of this group. You were all friends of Jackson Elias, and you're going out to find out what happened mm-hmm. to him. You know what I mean? And then that would have been a lot simpler on my part to, to bringing people in or, or the motivation for why these other individuals would join such a, a, a deadly investigation. You know, that, w- that would have made a lot more sense in, in retrospect now. But, you know, it's, it's something you contend with. I, I don't, I, depending on how you do mass, and it sounds like you're doing it much like the way I had done it, um, it, it can be a really brutal campaign in which, you know, there's a lot of character deaths, there's a lot of madness. Um, and so it can get challenging at, at points to bring in, but I, that's one reason why me as a keeper, I make sure I bring in a lot of extra names, you know, a lot of, uh, of NPC names that in the book go as unmentioned or unnamed. I give them all names, uh, just so that 
if the need arises, one of the players can pick up that character and it's a slight in there, you know, so that you can pull him in and play that guy as opposed to anyone else. Um, and then getting them up to speed or introducing them to the mythos once you've hit New or uh, New, sorry, once you've hit London in mass is not a very hard thing to do um, because there's quite a bit of it from that point forward. Um, New York, it's a little more interesting. You got a little you kind of rely on the fact that everybody's a friend of Jackson and that's why they're staying with it. But once you get past New York, there's ample opportunity for someone to witness the mythos and just have that generalized reason for staying with it. You know what I mean? Uh, the, the reason every other investigator in any other call Cthulhu campaign would stay with it. So it's not as hard. So, you know, you don't have to have everyone tied back to Jackson Elias in some sense or fashion. Uh -huh. Um, that's just the spark that kind of starts off the entire thing. Um, and, and at this point, I have to admit, there's there everyone save one. Well, there's one player character who's still alive that had a, a tie to Jackson Elias, but he's in an insane asylum in London. So <laughs> it's not uh, he's not really uh, with it. Uh, everyone else is at least one step removed uh, and they're not there for Jackson's sake. They're there for their own reasons. You know, either their employer has brought them in or they, uh, they've lost someone close to them along the way uh, that they're trying to figure out what happened to. You know, they, each of them might have their own personal Jackson Elias, essentially, that, that caused them to come into it. Um, Jackson was just the, the spark that kind of ignited this, this overreaching uh, campaign to start in the first place. But he doesn't have to be present, you know, throughout the rest of the campaign at all. Um, you just need to use him as the, you know, as the spark yeah. essentially to get things rolling and past that, you know, you don't ever have to bring him up again. And we haven't brought him up in, in sessions now, I don't think, except in retrospect to say, yeah, who's that Jackson guy? I wish we would have known him. He might know what's going on. You know, right. <laughs> that's kind of the only way he gets brought up anymore. And, um, you know, so, I mean, that's, that's the other thing about it is not to be so hell bent on knowing Jackson's Jackson. Um, it's not as necessary as it sounds because this is a, a fairly large campaign and, and it's not, it's not hard to believe that someone else might've come aware of it, you know, independent of Jackson as well. So you might have a whole nother line of investigation that's coming out of it from another country. Even, you know, there might be someone else in Egypt who's kind of stumbled upon the same thing without really realizing it. And so they've kind of become their own Jackson alliance. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then you could bring that person in as a player as well. So it, it doesn't, you don't have to try and tie everyone back to Jackson or back to the, the events in New York to get them into the campaign. You can always look to the local and then look at the backstories for the characters, um, for the players that you have already. And then just any time as a keeper that you end up pulling in a uh you know an npc just remember to name name them and if your players if you're sly keeper like i am and have forced your players to keep all your notes for you um <laughs> you have a name of him so that you don't have to uh worry about coming up with a name on the fly later on you know you have a name for him there and you can uh use him later as either you know uh, keep using him as an npc or or uh have them pulled in as a player character later on, you know, if the need arises. So, yeah. And I, hope Mask, that helps. I, I think, I mean, that sounds pretty good because mask has it, has its own problems because it's a globe trotting 
adventure, it's difficult to continue to send letters back to New York or Arkham and and say, help me, help me. Okay, well, let me just get that transatlantic, you know, ship. Right. Ticket now, and I'll spend, you know, a month, you know, or, you know, not a month, you know, but spend two weeks crossing the Atlantic and then, you know, and it's not going to go to, you know, Africa or something where you're at. Now I got to work my way south. I mean, so, you know, look to the local, uh, yeah. as you said, uh, try and, you know, as a keeper, you know, if motivation is the, uh, is the, that hump that you're trying to get over, just think of, of base motivational drives. You know, uh, is there something, you know, is the new character that's coming in driven by greed or, um, uh, you know, intrigue, or, you know, just what are, what would be some sort of base element that you could find to hook it into the uh, plot? You know, is, is there a, a rumor of, of wealth and treasure and, and this guy is going to try and, you know, weasel his way in so that he can try and get all the gold and, you know, find a lost city of gold and, 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 you know, make his wealth that way. Or, you know, uh, a lost lover or, you know, uh, uh, some sort of mystery to be unsolved. Not, not, not the necessarily the, the meta plot, but, you know, is there some sort of local lore or something that, they're looking to debunk or further investigate and it weaves into the campaign that you're running, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, it, and not to give too many spoilers about the campaign, I, I'm going to just assume most people have read mass. If you listen to the show, if not played it. Um, but once you hit England, for instance, there's a number of, of the side scenarios, you know, the, um, the Derbyshire one in particular, or the artists that he mentions, you know, there's a certain artist's, uh, relative that sent one of his guys insane. Um, both of those, you could have, like John said, uh, an NPC who was investigating those individually. In fact, that's what happened with us. We had the um, one of our player characters, actually, who just died, um, was a reporter for the Scoop in London, who was the reporter that actually did the story on the artist. You know, and so he was already familiar with the artist, and so he went with them. Um, to try and figure out uh, that whole side scenario, side plot um, thing. And that's how he got brought in. But he was, a, again, he was an NPC that I had already named. I just came up with a name on the fly for uh, and made note of. So it's easier to bring him in that way. Uh, but he had no, he was there for the story's sake. He had no correlation to the to the greater whole at all. In fact, it was completely new to the uh um, to the mythos in general, it was just a, a, a beat tabloid reporter, and that was it. Um, unfortunately, he ended with, you know, he ended up, well, he ended up dead with uh, four points of sand left. So, I mean, it, it, lots of things happened in the week or two that uh, he was at the party. <laughs> but, you know, uh, no, that's the kind of thing that happens in mass. <laughs> oh. And apparently in your playgroup, in particular. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> they're uh, they're an interesting group yeah. of guys. Love those guys. And, and as we're releasing the actual plays, then everybody else can enjoy their antics. Yeah, but I've got to get some more of those out soon. I'm going to try and get some more out this week. 
you need to you need to one of you guys needs to to have a uh, like a standardized um, intro for those uh, for those live plays, and it needs to include yakety sacks. In that Shut intro. up, man! That's not fun. Come on, I do have a standardized intro for the mass. I, bastards. <laughs> I can oh. see all these, you know, uh, investigators running around at double speed, and, da, 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 and cultists are chasing after him. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, my my players, uh, and just as a side note, my players have a penchant for arson, um, and I think a lot of players do, where they say, "I don't know what this is. Oh my god, burn it!" You know, like that somehow is going to fix everything. So I believe in in New York, they they burn down the juju house at the very end of New York. Um, and then they, they burned down a couple of other places in New York. And then once we hit London, it really got impressive. And I think that the tally is up to about five buildings in, uh, the city of London itself that they've burned down, um, for no, I mean, I guess there was a reason in their minds, but it wasn't necessary. That's for sure. Just, just, uh, well, let's just burn it. Okay. Let's burn it down. That sounds great. Oh my! So I mean, they've they've been on uh, one of one of them, a couple of them have been held by the police already for uh, charges of arson, attempted murder, uh, illegal discharge of a gun within city limits. Um, I, I mean, there's a whole. They have a rap sheet like a half mile long already within the city of London, and they were only there for five days. Okay, are they are they using the it wasn't me defense? No, yeah, it's, it's, it wasn't. It? No, it's, no, no, um, that was not a defense used. <laughs> uh, thankfully, they they were able to secure uh, the Carlisles as Erica Carlisle uh, from New York as their as their benefactor or um, matron of sorts. Um, so they have an almost unlimited supply of money at hand, um, and that was well, that was their one greatest coup. Uh, for New York that will uh, buy a lot of gas that it buys them a lot of leeway. <laughs> they have a lot of money to throw around. Uh, so that, that helped them in, in numerous ways once they hit new London and had to, you know, bail people out of jail and uh, bribe officials so that they could, uh, get people out of jail and then, uh, pay for the, the almost unbelievable amount of medical bills that are, that are, <laughs> <laughs> that are mounting. Oh no! Yeah, so it's great. <laughs> it's great fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, Good yeah, stuff. hopefully that that'll help Wolf a bit and other folks who who have the these questions of how do I bring in somebody new, and that's just not a that's a thing that's just been a tricky prospect, you know, from the beginning of the uh, of the game. You know, how do we do this? Yeah, you know, and if you if if the listeners have their own ideas, I I encourage you to start a thread on the forum or add to the uh, uh, conversation for this episode, and uh, let's get some ideas out there. Yeah. Uh, one one other thing I do want to mention that's been helpful for me as well is the, making use of the uh, in in particular for Mass, making use for the companion uh, for Mass of Narlathotep uh, by Brett Kramer. Um, that is a good grief. Sorry. Uh, that is a treasure trove of information. Uh, I mean, the, the scenario 
the the campaign for mass is what like 200 pages yeah. long maybe 189 pages uh the companion to mass and gnarl up it's like almost a thousand oh and it gosh. is i mean it is insane brett just went nuts so on this there's so many there extra like 15 uh guys working uh, on side plots yeah it's it's a it's a nuts amounts of uh uh, of info in there uh it's broken down by uh uh you know by location there's there's extra um npcs there's extra subplots uh there's a lot of location information in there i mean it it really really helps if you get stuck at any point uh to go pop that open and and just get to that you know 200 page 300 page chapter on new york or, or london rather and 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 just try and you know, figure out where you can go from there because there's a lot of a lot of stuff in there you never thought about. Settle down now, class. It's time for your next lesson. All right, and here's where I'm going to put in an interview that I had last night with the three guys who own Warpo Toys. And lucky, lucky yeah, dog, you. this was a very fun conversation. We very much are all uh, on the same page with a lot of the stuff. I'm also kind of a minor uh, toy collector. Don't have as many as I used to. I've sold off a number of them. And don't collect nearly as frequently due to finances, obviously. But the 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 talk was a lot of fun, and these guys definitely get it. They they uh, they all love the Lovecraftian mythos, and they love toys and the specific eras of toys that they're emulating. And so they started up this company, and they are making the. Legends of Cthulhu line of action figures, <laughs> and they are—they're uh, a lot of fun. These are really cool-looking toys. They are super cool. They're really awesome. I—I I can't wait to get mine in the mail. <laughs> yeah, you know they have the uh, level that gives you all four of them plus stretch goals, which so far they've unlocked the first one, which is a another version of the. Uh, Cthulhu spawn done in translucent plastic. Oh no! Which makes oh, wow. it basically a an a conjured avatar of Cthulhu himself. Oh. So yeah, transparent uh, Cthulhu. That's really cool. <laughs> and the next stretch goal is the head cultist. So it's a repaint of him with primary black instead of red. So the red and black have basically been swapped. So he's black. It looks really cool too. And yeah, he's really neat. I like the mask thing that they have on them too. It's really awesome. Yeah, yeah. The you, know, you can pop their normal Cthulhu mask. normal face off, and he's got that Cthulhu thing underneath or whatever. It's no, really no, great. It, it's a Cthulhu mask that goes. Is on that the other way face. around? Yeah. Oh, okay. Either way, it's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> and they have really nailed that late seventies, early eighties aesthetic. Yes. Yeah, yeah, tell me you can't look at these and just think of that first uh, round of Star Wars toys coming out. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. I mean, they're mm-hmm. that same exact feel, the same look, the same colors. I mean, it's it's great. It's truly really just great. Yeah, and 
they they were saying you know other even other than Star Wars stories, there were other lines that were coming out around the time of remember the um the figures that accompanied the Clash of the Titans movie. That was oh like my gosh, yes, eighty and. Those figures are also would fit nicely with this. Oh. And it's just it's just a really cool project. And I was glad to be able to have a chat with them. And they kind of asked a bunch of questions of me of how what I thought of it because they I'm one of the first folks they've talked to that has a strong Lovecraftian uh, you know knowledge and bent that uh, they wanted to kind of get my uh, take on things and yeah i think they've done a great job yeah I mean, it's they look wonderful mm-hmm. i can't wait to hear the interview personally yes yeah so i'm gonna edit that up and insert that in right after this little chat and we're gonna you know i wound up talking to all three of the guys from warpo and I also encourage folks to go over to their uh, website, just warpo.com, and take a look at the uh, tour of their shop. It's a photo gallery that goes through their offices where they have a lot of their collections. And there are some really great old toys in there. Uh-huh. A number of, the, number of them I've either had or still have and or have wanted lots of them that I wanted. And it's just <laughs> really cool to go through there and see what these guys are into. And they're gamers, and they are going to be at Gen Con. That's awesome. Somebody else to add to our list of people to meet. Yep. Even more people to try and track down. <laughs> Should be pretty interesting in its own right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yes, we are going to be very, very busy. But Divide and conquer. Work. Yeah. But yeah, they're they're going to be at Gen Con, and they plan to go to a number of cons like Gen Con and actually have like uh, some of the uh, figure prototypes to show off. So we'll be able to see I these can't in wait. person. That'll be so awesome. Yes. That'll be really cool. Absolutely. And they've been very open with sharing how the process is going, you know, from one end to the other. They've got pictures of the actual sculpts and the, the you know the original wax sculpts done by like artists that worked on the original old toy lines that's really Their cool main sculptor it's, he worked on he-man which i had ridiculous amounts of by the way i just yeah. want to throw that out there i think i had every single he-man figure that ever came through um of course i played with mine because i was of that age at that time but i mean i was in love with he-man line it was just so great such a great line of toys. And something that I trimmed out is they even made a 30-second TV commercial for the line. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and so let me go ahead and play the audio for that. Oh, no. The cultists and deep one are summoning spawn of Cthulhu. From the exciting universe of H.P. Lovecraft comes the legends of Cthulhu. The great old ones shall return to rule the earth. None of the professor has anything to say about it. It's too late. The spawn of Cthulhu has risen. Arrgh. What happens next in the world of Cthulhu? You decide. Cthulhu and the legends of Cthulhu collection each sold separately from Warpo. <laughs> this is brilliant. I love that. Yeah. Not if the spawn of Cthulhu has anything to say about it. 
Arg. <laughs> <laughs> and that's great. And you can get that commercial on a VHS tape uh, oh, as shit. one of the uh, pledged levels. What the hell? <laughs> so messed up. A VHS tape. Yep. Oh, God. I have to go to the pawn shop and buy me a VHS tape. That's hilarious. Very cool. Now, by VHS tape, they mean a device that has a, a little recessed niche that is holding a uh, a thumb drive, right? No. There's a little thumb drive hidden in there? No? No. Actual VHS, VHS tape. tape. Yep. Mm. Nice to talk to you, fellas. Yeah, nice yeah. to meet you. So, uh, how'd you find uh, the campaign? Yeah, I first uh, found out about you guys actually from several places, like in very quick succession. Uh, the first one was I got a notice on Twitter that I think it was you guys put out a Twitter that had like my address in there and like two or three other places that were Lovecraftian. Oh yeah. So I saw that email first and went, "What's that?" And then I got an email. Cool. And so I scheduled to talk to you guys. Yeah. Perfect. What was your response when you first saw it? I'm going to be interviewing you just as much as you interviewed me. (laughs) Because we haven't been able to really talk to too many, you know, um, like too much of the uh, HP Lovecraft community. Okay. You know, you're our first... Oh, interview cool. that we're doing uh from a from a podcast side uh and you know we're getting obviously we're getting emails uh but those are always so brief right you yeah. know and, uh, i don't know if you saw but sandy peterson has kind of weighed in and was was putting out he was promoting legends of cthulhu in his last in his last update and of course you know he's he you know he has been oh yeah uh, he's been the uh, pillar of uh, the Cthulhu, Cthulhu community yeah. for so long that he, you know, he's got some opinions. And uh, I was just wondering, you know, what at your first glance, like uh, uh, what you felt, uh, how you felt about the, the line. I was kind of bowled over to <laughs> see that. I mean, um, it, it's just so unexpected to see somebody try and make an action figure line on the property but but the retro styling is it really is ca- catching it uh it just kind of caught my eye and the uh the uh star spawn is just such an iconic looking figure yeah how did he come out i mean did he we've we've had you know there's there's been so many people that have thrown their hat into the ring of like interpreting that yeah. character you know uh when we were working with eddie it, it, i think it was uh maybe a little overwhelming for him because we just dumped all these images on him and uh you know uh, our approach to to making toys is to really try and and method act the process of mm-hmm. uh of how a manufacturer back during you know the 70s or 80s would have made the toy so you know obviously though you know 
the, a corporate toy company back in those times would have definitely made mistakes or might not have understood the property the way that a super fan would have understood the property. Yeah. You know, there were always those things in um, in cartoons that you kind of scratched your head at or you didn't really understand where why Godzuki came into the, the how he fit in the Godzilla yeah. you know, universe. And there where were all the these wings come of, from. Yeah, right, right. So you, so there were always these things that you know that were kind of that slowly got built into the the history of that that uh, property, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, with you being so you know into Call of Cthulhu and and H.P. Lovecraft, you know. Um, I was just interested, you know, of how how that character looked, you know, if he if he kind of fit to the way you've imagined or you've seen him portrayed in the past or if it feels like a because Sandy, I think, uh, called these these toys cute, you know, (laughs) which uh, which probably from from his interpretation repulsively adorable. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) right. Yeah, totally, totally. And, you know, um, like, I think. From his perspective, like uh, especially uh, through the game that he's producing, he takes a, a totally uh, a, mm-hmm. a more realistic approach. You know, like a, from a serious. hardcore horror a horror um, aspect, a, a serious approach. So, uh, but you know, when we're looking at the toys, I, I it was always this balance of like. Could this have sat on the shelf, you know, in the seventies? Like, like yeah. would this would these figures sit alongside the the Star Wars figures in the cantina? You know, that was kind of our <laughs> we wanted it to feel like that, yeah. you know. So yeah, I would have absolutely had that star spawn with my uh, Star Wars. He would have been with my GI <laughs> Joes. Yeah, would have been just with everything because that is a great looking figure. Perfect. Thanks. Yeah, that's that's yeah. definitely the direction we wanted to go. Yeah, I I think you guys really nailed the era. You know, to me, my eye, it looks more early '80s than it does '70s. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. in the '70s, I mean, we had 12-inch figures and Star Wars, and that was about it for you know scales. And these yeah, guys would have been Star Wars scale, and they the only ones that were were Star Wars. It's such a mouthful, and it's kind of the the nerd in me to like. I don't want to neglect 1979 because it was mm-hmm. like, like such an important year for that size of action figure, you yeah. know. And like we were totally inspired by um, the Clash of the Titans figures and the Flash Gordon figures that Mattel had put out. So mm-hmm. like like Beastman and and there there were a lot of those those action figures that you know it's really like right at early 80s you know and right at the end of the 70s yeah. of when we were trying to hit you know so okay yeah the, i forgot uh, about the titans line and yeah we took a yeah. lot of we looked at a lot of those figures a lot when we were trying to make the legends of cthulhu got a lot of inspiration from them yeah yeah i can see it, it looks like these guys would have easily come off of or had a relation to an animated program but it's that's what we're hoping yeah they (laughs) totally look like they should have had a cartoon yep right well that you know that's part of that process you know like um it's it's hard to relate all the work and the like sleepless nights that goes into doing something like this because you get one chance you get one kickstarter page Mm -hmm. you, you get one video to kind of present it to the whole world but uh the the 
you know, the fact is we took a ton of time of really trying to method act how, you know, what is the background story of Legends of Cthulhu and um, what is what are all the different things that a toy company back then would have taken into consideration? And there definitely would have been a filmation cartoon, right, mm-hmm. <laughs> that yeah. uh, would have supported this uh, this line. And we wanted the action figure to feel like uh, like uh, there could have been, you know, um, that there could have been a cartoon, there could have been coloring books, there could have been all the, all of that kind of uh, that media push that would have been mm-hmm. out there at that time. Marvel comic, yeah, would yeah. have fit nicely for sure. So uh, it's you know it's a big compliment that that you, you say that. I, I actually had a call last night, uh, and the 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 guy that I was talking to was asking, you know, who owns the who owns this property? Like uh, these toys, when they came out in the eighties, uh, who actually made these? And do you guys have the, the, the <laughs> license for it or the, you know, own the trademark? And I had to tell him, no, this is, that, thank you. You know, that's awesome that you said that, but uh, that, the, that's a huge compliment, but we, these are totally our toys. You know, we, we made them from the ground up and they were designed that way to make you feel like, uh, they've been unearthed from, from another uh, period or it's something that you, mm-hmm. that you never knew was on the shelf back then. Cause you know, we're collectors and it always surprises me. Like every, it, it, as I kind of go down the rabbit hole more and more that I'm, that I'm always, someone's always able to kind of pull something out of their collection and say, Oh dude, have you ever seen, have you ever seen this toy before? Yeah. And like, I haven't seen it. And you know, we're, toy nerds like we are way into collecting yeah. toys but someone can always pull something out that you weren't aware was out there and we wanted to kind of create that same experience with legends of cthulhu where uh someone could kind of scratch their head and say was this did i miss this or was this out you know on the shelf previously mm-hmm. so hopefully uh we'll get the opportunity to put these out on retail shelves and 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 uh really uh get uh get people totally confused with (laughs) why such an old toy is out there yeah if these things actually hit like normal retail would that would just be the most amazing thing oh definitely yeah definitely because you know that was it's it's been um you know we've always we grew up with hp lovecraft and uh you know he's always been uh his stories have influenced uh all the all the role-playing games and just the the a a ton of the subject matter the things that like that totally got us off in collecting throughout the years and but at the same time it's always been this you know his his work has always been this kind of underground thing that really never broke through mass market you know um like in a big way uh and you know we've always we from the very beginning of doing this line and even even still with the kickstarter i mean i think at this point in time we're starting to scratch our heads a little bit but we've always been really conservative with saying you know uh i this is probably something that can't hit the retail shelf you know uh, we we don't know just because hp lovecraft's works have never traditionally been this mass market thing you know yeah. um but 
who knows, you know, maybe this is, this is the time where, uh, you know, there is a huge community, obviously, you, you know, you guys are speaking to tons of listeners and there's, uh, a lot of podcast, uh, podcasts dedicated to HP Lovecraft. So, um, we're definitely seeing and feeling the, the, the Lovecraft, the love, you know, from, the Lovecraft community, we're, we're just inundated in, in feedback and communication and emails. and That's yeah. good. It's good. Yeah. I actually, for our show, just wrapped up an Indiegogo campaign to raise funds to get to Gen Con. Awesome. Oh, yeah, we, were and, we were following you. Oh, really? Oh, really? Cool. Yeah. It, it, that was a lot of fun. I uh, can I, I see that you're kind of keeping yours fairly streamlined. You know, it, it. I like how you've got the campaign set up where you've got the basics here and then it's just different add-ons per level. Yeah, we really wanted to make our ad, add-ons look like stuff that a company would use back then to kind of yeah. advertise the line, like a, like a like a big, super big gulp cup and like a coloring book, uh, stuff like that. So even with our stretch goals and, and our add-ons, we really thought about what what a company would do back then to kind of advertise the line. And I'm glad that you said that it, it feels streamlined because, you know, I've been a part of a, a lot of Kickstarters and like, I feel like my, like when I first get to a Kickstarter that I'm in love with and like, it's, it's like, I'm excited, you know, and I, I, I quickly get overwhelmed by Kickstarters as you start looking down the pledge levels and yeah. like trying to calculate like, okay, what does this one have different that, that the next one doesn't have and and like you you quickly kind of uh get lost in in trying to figure out like what what it is you're gonna get and sometimes it's discouraging you know so we wanted to we wanted to make it as simple as possible but it's such a uh it's there's so there's so many you know um it's such a, a web of all these different things that you know it's 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 kind of a hard thing to to pull off. Uh, we're, yeah. we're offering a lot of a lot of different items because we wanted it to feel like a full experience. You know, we wanted when you came to the page to to really feel like uh, this is a giant Legends of Cthulhu launch. You know, it's not just the toys, but you've got all these other really cool items that could almost in their own right be Kickstarters themselves, like. That, yeah. that the painting that Ken Kelly did for our package is just so Amazing. awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's so great. Yeah, the, it is. The print, uh, you know, the the print alone is 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 really cool. So, are the fold lines part of the actual painting? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. Okay, that was that was our that was our treatment. Uh, it's uh, we wanted it to to feel like something that you walked away from a from a from a movie um, premiere or something that you mailed away and got in a in a in a you know Manila envelope that was delivered to your house. Uh, you know, I was thinking maybe like it came out of a uh, larger box item that was part of the line. You know, like a vehicle or something. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, that's great. There would have been like a catalog on the back. Totally. That's that's all part of the Warpo treatment because uh, <laughs> I mean, as you know, we've got. Ken Kelly, famous guy from the day. You've got Eddie Mosqueda, famous guy from the day. But they've kind of moved on, and we've got to tell them, no, 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 no. we got to make it the old way. And in the old way, we'd have a folded poster, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It totally. It's all about that experience. 
It's all about that experience. Everything that we did within the product and the Kickstarter and how it's all set up, it's, it's to create that experience, that nostalgia of what we all love about all those toys that we grew up with. Yeah, I love it that you you were, um, Dan, that you were able to kind of uh, create this backstory to it that, like, we we might not have intended, you know, but the symbolism is there. Like, we tried yeah. to place in the right symbolism onto uh, whether it's those, those uh, stretch goal rewards or even the figures, you know. Like, um, we, we went back and forth with the cultist of just, you know, moving forward, just leaving him the way that the sculpt was. But we knew that the only opportunity for us to really have a, a vinyl cut cape uh, would be on that figure and you know for the line as a whole to put that vinyl cut cape on on the cultist just really evokes this nostalgia to the entire line yeah. you know you see that you mm-hmm. see that cape and you you know there's something uh, that just this little itch that's scratched you know in <laughs> yeah. the back of your mind where you're like oh I totally understand what this is all about now, you know, and, and, and we don't really have to say anything, you know, it's just these little pieces that we've, that we sprinkled across that line to, to kind of help to, to bring that nostalgia and to evoke a toy from that, from that era. Yeah. Yeah. The Cape, I really can appreciate that. I have fond memories of my Obi-Wan and Jawa and (laughs) Leia. Yeah. Leia, I think also had that cape yeah it's crazy when we first got uh, we 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 got the uh the cultist and uh the first time that we put the cape on him it was just like such a moment like we were nerding <laughs> out we're like oh my god it just made him look so well-rounded and and just put him right back to that that time period that we were really shooting for yeah yeah that was a style of production that was only used for a, a short window yeah yeah because everybody ripped him up right <laughs> yeah, yeah. the The armholes just tore right through, so yep. Yep. it was a very limited type thing. You usually wound up with it kind of hooked onto their shoulders rather than. Yep. It, it really speaks to that time too, because I think even toy manufacturers back then were like, "Well, how do I show a guy with a robe? Do I sculpt all that in?" No, I think we should just put let's put this vinyl cape around him, and that'll kind of yeah. uh, represent what it is. So, really, really harkens back to that time period, and that was our goal. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, you know, as far as Warpo as a company goes, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that we went with that uh, time period and and that kind of style of a figure to kind of launch, launch us as a company also, because that was like, you know, that was an exciting time for action figure collecting. It was at a time when there weren't really rules to how these things are supposed to be done. And there wasn't this collector community that, you know, had certain expectations of how things, you know, how things need to be. And uh, when you have like a point in time where, uh, where uh, something is so new, you get the, the awesomest bang of, of uh, creativity, you know, you get, you get all of these different uh, hats that get thrown into the ring, you know, of, of like, maybe it should be like this, maybe it should look like this. And that's why I think as time goes on, there is such a deep nostalgia for those things that happened back then because we kind of start to cut a groove, you know, and, and as toys go on, people don't break that, 
that um, they don't break out of that groove as much, or it, it just doesn't it doesn't uh, occur as they're designing toys that hey we can go back and make something that looks exactly like it did in 1981, you know? Mm -hmm. um, there's nothing that's holding us back from doing that and, and choosing materials and, and, uh, and making style choices that look, that, that look like something that, that sat on the shelf at that time. You know, it's, it's just really making the conscious decision and uh, trying to resist you know, <laughs> looking at all the other things that are going on currently. Yeah, yeah. You guys could have done a more modern interpretation of the line, and that would be also a very cool thing. You know, nice high articulation. They would have had super tight sculpting and paint applications, and they would have been great display pieces. But they wouldn't have felt necessarily like toys. Sure, and, you know, uh, with Warpo we're all we're we're collectors that are making toys for collectors you know mm -hmm. so we want to make something new to put on the shelf you know and there's definitely been guys that have made you know cthulhu you know highly articulated highly articulated uh cthulhu uh action figures for that world um we wanted to make something that doesn't exist, you know. We wanted to make something new to to add to those collections, you know. Uh, uh, of course, I think that we could do a bang up job on it and and make it look awesome. But um, there's other guys that that's their specialty, you know. This is a this is a, this is the approach that uh, Warpo's taking. You know, we're we're all about trying to make toys uh, from a specific era. Yeah. And, and can you? I'm sorry. Dan, can you guess why we picked this era specifically for these figures? Uh, I'm not really sure. <laughs> All right. Well, this is what I was hoping you would say. <laughs> uh, we kind of see that it coincides with the rediscovery of Lovecraft in popular culture. Um, oh, it was about okay. the same time, you know, the whole role-playing game, you know, came into existence. It was the early 80s, right? Yeah. It was 81 when it first was launched. So we, in our method manufacturing process, we're thinking to ourselves, well... Maybe a toy exec, if this company exists, would have said, "Hey, this is royalty free. Let's 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 run with this, and we'll do it in the scale that these uh, other Star Wars figures that are coming out are doing." So that's part of the reason why we chose that specific era, in addition to our own nostalgia for it. Yeah, I would definitely say the second part or another part of it was that we just love that time period, and as collectors, we are always looking. Like Brian was mentioning earlier, we're always looking for that next thing that, but that unfound item but in a lot of ways all that stuff is kind of gone so we wanted to make another avenue uh where people could kind of collect and get that same feeling that same nostalgic feeling uh when they pick up our toys i definitely think that you you guys with the the talent that you've pulled together for the creation part of it you've really nailed it and i'm like you guys i've got action figures all over my desk i've got a shelf above me covered in transformers so that's awesome. great yeah, you should check out on our uh, Warpo site. We have our studio pictures up, and there's just I tons did. and tons of stuff. Yeah, we yeah. Had... about a half an hour ago, I was flipping yeah. through there and zooming in and looking around. And yeah, it's great, I, Eric. I don't think I told you this, but after our uh, after our video, I uh, I had a guy reach out to me, you know, and he didn't he didn't want to he didn't want to talk to me about Legends of Cthulhu. He might have said, "Hey, Legends of Cthulhu looks cool," but he was actually saying, "Hey, you know, um, 
I saw something way in the back corner of your shelf. You know, would you be interested in selling that to me for 200 bucks? You can put it towards your campaign. It's like, uh, man, I, I, lo- I love, I love my stuff too much to go selling it. You know, <laughs> that's great. Collectors. Yeah. Hardcore. Do anything to get that next, uh, that next piece. Right. Mm hmm. Yep, I'm only missing four accessories, and then I have the line complete. Yeah, <laughs> good luck with that. <laughs> Pay more for the accessories than you would for the figure. Yeah, yep. that's for sure. Absolutely. So, Dan, yeah. did we kind of just derail things here? Or, uh, <laughs> 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 Do you want to put some kind of format here? <laughs> I was trying to think of the best way to bring it back on track. You were about to mention the guys that you were working with for the production. Yeah, I mean, it was so much fun to get to work with both of them and uh, getting to work with Eddie. And we we flew out there to California to meet with him and kind of uh, see where our toys were at in a, in a certain part of the manufacturing of them. And just to get to hang out with him. And he would – it was such a nerd fest because he would pull out all these amazing things that he had worked on uh, you know, throughout the years like He-Man, uh, Ninja Turtles. And he'd pull out original wax sculpts. And show them to us. We got to hold them. We got to see all this stuff. We got to to participate in this origin of these things that we love. And then on top of it, we got to see our toys and see that they were made in the exact same way as all these things that we love so much. It was it was such an amazing experience. Uh, and to see them in reality, they looked amazing. And that's another thing too. Like they look great on that Kickstarter, and they look great uh, on the internet. But when you look at these in 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 real life, they are truly amazing. Yeah, uh, we. I I'm really hoping. Like you had brought up, uh, Dan. You had brought up uh, Gen Con. I'm really hoping that we can hit some yeah, some definitely. cons coming up to to display the figures, um, so people can come and and get to see the 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 deco masters in person just because uh like uh, there it's it's so much cooler to see the toy in person i it's hard to describe you know like uh it, in all the years it, it's always been something that's like totally difficult to deal with in in toy um, manufacturing and going through the product development process just because you know you're always usually working with sculptors or people that are uh, are far away from you right and so mm-hmm. you're going back and forth by email and sending pictures back and forth and you're making comments and you're like oh that doesn't look right proportion doesn't look right and all these things you know and then you get the you, you finally get the sculpt you know, mailed into you and you take it out of the box and you look at it and you're like, oh my gosh, this looks so awesome. What was I complaining about? It looks totally different than I ever imagined yeah, what sure. this thing's going to look like. And you, and then you start to like doubt yourself. You start to say, well, what changes did I make that that I shouldn't have made, you know, because I didn't really, I wasn't really viewing it properly through, through the photographs. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that... Not to say that uh, that the the photos you know online don't represent the toys because I think we did the best that we possibly could to photograph them in a way that feels retro, but then also uh, gives people a really good idea of what they're getting. But when you see them in person, yeah, you're, you're gonna freak. Out of water. Yeah, because they they just they just feel uh, so much tighter. You know, all that detail is right there, Pops. right there in front of you, and yeah, it's great. They're really cool. So hopefully Gen Con, you'll get to see us. And uh, nice. we're doing an event uh, 
at Chicago Comics in downtown Chicago on uh, June 21st, where we'll have the the toys on display. Um, And who knows where else? Um, I know Cthulhu Con happens in September in L.A., uh, where they've already Mm -hmm. uh, reached out to us also about being a vendor. So who knows where else Warp will show up. Next year is Necronomicon Providence. Oh, cool. We'll be there. Have, have you guys uh, have you guys been to that event? Uh, two of my co-hosts have. That's a every other year thing. And so last year was the first Necronomicon that they've had in a long time. And that was a huge uh, uh, success. And so next year is going to be the next Necronomicon. I believe it's going to be in uh, August. And so we're probably going to decide of this year is Gen Con, next year is Necronomicon. Rad. We'll have to check that out. Yeah. So have you been to Gen Con? I have been to Gen Con for the first time last year. Isn't it an awesome experience? It's oh, amazing, right? It, amazing. Absolutely yeah. amazing. It's like uh, the, the con itself is awesome, but I love Indianapolis for conventions. It's just like it's set up so beautifully yeah. for, for just like having a great time and being able to – it feels like the entire city is, is it, yeah. Gen Con at that point in time and you're just like you're in heaven down there <laughs> like yeah. there's just so many great things you know such Me a and, positive energy from everybody it's yeah. yeah it's rare that you get to feel that <laughs> yeah exactly and that you know so many of the people that i talked to you know like the creators and sort of thing they were just happy to be there and they enjoy talking to the people who play their games and use their stuff and it was just an absolute blast this gen con will be the first time that all four hosts of this show will be together in the same place are you guys going to record a episode there or? oh yeah yep, yep. Sat- uh, friday at 1 p.m we are set for a two-hour block to do a live show oh great nice. that's awesome yeah me and Eric have made a few trips there. Oh, yeah, Tom, more than a and few. Tommy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we love playing True I... Dungeon, too. You played True... Uh-huh. Did you try to do True Dungeon? No. no. Oh, Not able great. to. Yeah, yeah the, the wait it, list man. is just too much of a nightmare to, to deal with. It's yeah, it, it takes some, a it. lot of planning, but it's totally worth it, man. Like, if you've never done it, you got to do it at least once. Yeah. You know, me and, me and Eric... Um, we kind of got spoiled because we went to their, I, I don't know if it was their first or second event, which was True Realm, which happened down in southern Illinois somewhere. And they had this warehouse that I think someone, uh, they, it was either a friend's or or somehow they got to secure this warehouse for months. So they were able to take tons of time to build this humongous um this humongous dungeon and uh it it was obvious when you walked into this thing that guys were just spending nights you know and coming down there and and doing looking at all the little details and uh it was mind-blowing when we went down and played that you know it was like me and eric were like this is the next big thing this is huge you know it was like it was like all your dreams of like of uh of of taking role-playing games to the next level and uh uh after that we were totally totally hooked yeah that sounds very cool i that matches a lot of the descriptions i've heard of true dungeon yeah yeah and i'd love to see it hit other formats right yeah like, uh, you could see you could see a uh call a cthulhu version of that uh and, and there's probably some really cool things that it could do because you know there's no reason it has to stay totally in a uh 
sword and sorcery kind of realm, right? Yeah, yeah yep. exactly. You know, if it was done well, I think that could branch out into being like the equivalent of like a paintball kind of activity. You know, you get a group of people together and get oh, on yeah. and, and solve puzzles. I and, imagine the Lovecraft fans would really do it up too with like costumes and stuff. Oh, and, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, that's how the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society started. Was right live on. action uh, Lovecraft basically doing live action Call of Cthulhu, and they were in L.A. make they made props and stuff for hobbies and some of them for a living, and they just kind of expanded it out to their gaming. Wow! Now I'm imagining true dungeon creatures uh, being Lovecraft creatures. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the animatronics necessary to really pull off some of that stuff would be pretty impressive. Oh, and they do some beautiful stuff there, so I'd love to let them loose on that. <laughs> yeah, that would be so cool. What kind of gaming do you guys do in general? Uh, well, go ahead, I Brian. Wish, I wish I had more time to game, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, Dungeons & Dragons is pretty much uh, my go-to for sure. Mm -hmm. We are uh, big board game players, too. Yeah. So we love those elaborate board games that you buy at Gen Con that come with a million pieces and uh, all of those games. And, you know, you, you buy 10 of them and you play maybe get time to play maybe four of them. Yeah. But you still open them and you, and you just lovingly look at all the components. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. It's like every time I go to Gen Con, I walk away with like five board games yeah. and then uh, I – I go to Gen Con the next year, and maybe like uh, two of them have been opened. <laughs> We've been working on uh, on Legends of Cthulhu for like the past eight months, and it's it's absolutely nonstop for yeah. us. Like, I underestimated the response that we were going to be getting from you know Cthulhu fans. Uh, like, you know, I, I think we did that just to. to uh, stay conservatively optimistic, you know, and like mm -hmm. we didn't want to uh, have our bubble burst, you know. Yeah. We knew there were like so many fans out there, but you never know how how the Kickstarter is going to go, right? You know, um, we put as much effort as we could into it, but we are working around the clock. Like I, I'm staying up. Uh, so late every night and trying to juggle, you know, because we want to make sure that we stay up with everybody's yeah. uh, correspondence, you know. Uh, the, it, it, people have given us such a positive uh, response that we feel like we want to get back to people right on time. And, yeah. you know, people have so many questions and they, they're looking for so many specific things like a series two, you know, and what's coming next and how do <laughs> I do this and how, how can I buy more figures? So, and then also the, the great response that we've been getting from, from press for, for interviews and things. So not a whole lot of time for gaming. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully at Gen Con we'll get a little time, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, squeeze a little bit in there. Because, yeah, I noticed in the uh, video that you actually had a shout-out to Call of Cthulhu. You had, like, a screenshot of one of the first books, like, first or second yeah, edition. totally. And that, you know, like, I and we have been around for a long time. We're older guys. <laughs> so, you Why'd know. you call us out, Brian? <laughs> So, you know, there's been, you know, there's been a lot of different stages of our lives. Right now, I, we're in toy manufacturer uh, stages of our lives, but there was definitely a role-playing game, Brian, and that was, you know, 
throughout the 80s when I had a lot more time on my hands. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I wish I could dedicate uh, more or I I wish I could make a 48-hour day. That would be killer because then I would I would be playing some role-playing games like crazy. But yeah. you know what? Those memories are help driving what we're making now. So those mm-hmm. are really precious and really important to us. I mean, those those Saturday or Sunday afternoons whiling away playing those role-playing games with your buddies, you know, so much came out of that that's influencing what we're making today. For sure. And Call of Cthulhu was definitely there when I was growing up playing role-playing games. Like, you know, we... I devoured everything at uh, we had a we had a tobacco shop in our town that sold uh, guns, tobacco, Boy Scout you know Boy Scout stuff, and then role playing games. And uh, I remember picking up just everything that I could from that place uh, to play. And a buddy of mine grabbed Call of Cthulhu and uh, and ran me. uh, through um, some of uh, a campaign, and uh, I remember dying super quickly, which uh, he was he was ecstatic about, and uh, <laughs> and uh, that that's probably my fondest memory of Call of Cthulhu for sure. Not that unusual of a story. Yeah. <laughs> what do bullets do against an an, an old one anyway? Yeah. yeah. Exactly, especially if you come in from another game. You come in from D&D where, especially nowadays, where things are scaled, designed to be a viable threat, but still beatable. And mm-hmm. Call of Cthulhu's never been balanced. It's never been intended to be. Right. right. It's it's a nihilistic game, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, Sandy Peterson didn't even want to have stats for the creatures. He just wanted it to be where, well, if you encounter one, then you're obviously dead. <laughs> Short <Brutal>. game, <laughs> and but the the other guys at Chaosium said no. We we want stats for them. <laughs> Call is crazy. Yeah, yeah. So that of course you know kind of directed how the line was going to be perceived from that point, and it is a lot more pulpy as a result. But that feel of a pulpiness carries through to your toy line because you've got the professor with his little idol that he probably stole from the cultist and he's got his revolver yeah. and yep. Yep. that guy really doesn't appear in Lovecraft specifically. Nope. He's an archetype. Yeah. yeah. So he could be, he could be anybody from any of your favorite stories, but yep. he's that investigator and yes, he's meant to be killed. <laughs> yeah. And you know, that was, that was one of the things that we, we knew early on, you know, is that, uh, uh, with the time period of these toys that we were looking to make, th- there's no way that they would have done it right on, right? You know, th- mm-hmm. there's no way that they would have had uh, somebody in there that that was uh, a super fan of of H.P. Lovecraft and getting all the details right. You know, they would have they would have boiled it down to um, to simple forms or archetypes, like Eric was saying, um, that would have been appealing to to kids you know uh and and that's kind of where we went especially with the professor you know mm-hmm. uh we couldn't just choose one one specific character to to represent there yeah. yeah and there definitely would have been influences from popular culture i mean if this is 79 80 81 you know 
what was going on back then? What would people have looked to for a character like this? So we thought, well, probably would have looked to like the Hammer horror movies, like a Van Helsing type guy, and maybe a little bit uh, action star, a little bit like uh, uh, like a Steve McQueen or a or a Clint Eastwood type of guy. So we tried to give him a little more adventurer that he authentically probably shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he Erica. feels like a Call of Cthulhu role-playing game character, very much so. Great. I love that's that. Good. Yeah, that's a, cool. that's that's a that's a compliment. Thank you. That, Eric uh, took ownership of the professor, so he knows that guy inside and out. <laughs> yeah, he of all the characters, he evolved the most because we did not want him to be a dud, and I'm I'm so glad to hear that you like him. Yeah, yeah, that was the toughest thing, you know, with that that line is just uh, kind of needed to have a hero, but the the heroes really aren't the heroes, you know. We knew we knew Cthulhu uh, or Starspawn was going to be the the figure that everybody was going to want, you know. Yeah. So we wanted to create uh, kind of a a Beatles lineup of characters where everybody, you know, each character could almost stand on their own, and uh, uh, we didn't want any duds, you know. We wanted it to because I, I think that's what resonates with everyone when they look at the line, you know, is that uh, we didn't just focus on uh, Spawn of Cthulhu. We we really took so much time to make sure that we we made each uh, character kind of stand on on their own and. Uh, it turned out great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've all got a lot of personality to them. And I've noticed on your campaign here, there's one image that you've got that looks like these are the original like concept sketches for the figures. And you can see the evolution just in those little little sketches. Oh, yeah. yeah a, lot of, a lot of hard work and late nights in those little sketches. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and, you know, it's, it's amazing. Like, uh, like Eric had referred to, uh, working with Eddie, uh, we, we – it, for so many years, being in the toy industry, it's all about uh, trying to do the next best thing. You know what I mean? And trying to 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 get something exciting and trying to outdo yourself. And you can't ever, you know, uh, you can't ever just sit back and relax with a line in the toy industry. It's always what's coming next. It's a brand new season. So Eddie's been doing that for so long that he was constantly wanting to take these figures to new areas. You know, and and. And we we really had to work through and, and make sure that we were kind of reining it in and, and and not so much innovating, but kind of imitating an era that we wanted to to produce from. Uh, so, like like you said, uh, those those sketches, there was a, a ton of of time and a lot of iterations that we went through to make sure that that we were putting out something that uh, that was representative of the era as a whole. Yeah, I'm just kind of scrolling through the images on the campaign here with the the um, the nice hero shots of the figures and the different uh, angles, and then you've got the accessories kind of sketched out underneath them. So the Star Spawn's going to actually have a small Necronomicon? Yep, he will definitely have one. It, it was actually a little bigger than we were anticipating, so instead of, but we loved it so much, um, Eddie sculpted a new arm for, for the spawn of Cthulhu instead of modifying the book. Ah, so he'll be able to hold that. Cool. So he will be able to hold it. That's right. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of our next updates. Yep. Our very next update will be. Exclusive. Uh, yep. 
And are the wings and tail like a separate piece that like pegs into the back? Yep. Okay. Exactly. That's what it looked like to me, but I wasn't sure. Yeah, that's that's how they would do it back in the day. It would yep. have been one molded piece. You just plugged right in there and you probably lost it after the first week and you cursed yourself <laughs> and wanted a new one. So your parents got you a new one and then you had one with wings and one without. Yep. Or your dog chewed it up. Or, or your dog chewed it up and you, you had to run around yeah. with half a wing. I always <laughs> lost mine in the sandbox. The sandbox, the sandbox was a killer for action figures. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much accessories and uh, and yeah. all the add-ons just were lost to the to the, the nothingness. Yeah, the abyss yeah. of the sandbox. Yeah, it was such a limited space, but somehow it it things still kept evaporating. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it was so hard to resist too. Yeah, the beauty of the sandbox—it's like, of course, we have to play with our action figures there, and uh, it was a trap. I've even thought about going back to where I grew up and seeing if I could excavate and see if I could like come back and find all the stuff I've lost in there. <laughs> Bring it back and then just slowly take out a handful and put it through a sieve and. Yeah, yeah like paid it for gold. Collectors, maybe that's a, there's a whole business there of going and buying old sandboxes sand and, and putting them through. <laughs> yeah, through. Yeah, do some nice cleaning and get a handful of accessories. Yeah, I'm actually <laughs> backed at the uh, oh, what do I call it here? It's the thirty-three dollar level currently with the spawn summoning level. I was able to do that one, so I'll be getting a single figure. Oh man, it, you're gonna miss out on all those stretch goals. I can't afford all it. Those stretch goals. <laughs> I wish I could. Did you? Did you see the high priest? Yeah, I see him. <laughs> and I saw the repaints and, and the translucent. The first one is clear. You know that yeah. star spawn is clear. Yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm encouraging well, our thanks. listeners to to back as high yeah. as they can because this is cool. But you know, I'm limited. So no, Dan. We appreciate anything that you can exactly. send our direction. It's awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for your support. Yep, he's gonna be standing proudly on my shelf with all the rest of the motley assortment I've got scattered around. Dan, so will you take him out of the package? Oh, that's the big question. Yep. Yes, I am an opener primarily because <laughs> my figures have been transformers, and right you can't play with the second mode when yeah, it's still in the exactly. box yeah yep and they all started out as just boring vehicles anyway right yep yeah the uh what's the point of having something that's meant to be played with if it's just staying in a box i'm yeah. in your camp dan i'm in yep. your camp it's tough for me i have so many things that uh they're still closed up i just got a a mangalore if you remember, I don't know if you know what that is, Dan, but it was a toy that you could rip apart. It was made by Remco. It was almost yeah. made out of the plastic. And I, I found one that was never opened. And that's pretty much the only way that you can get that figure since it was so, like, disposable because you could rip it apart and put it back together. But yeah, I, I, I've been tempted to open it just to see if there's anything in the box. <laughs> open it, Tommy. Open it, open it, open it. That's After it. the years, Kelly the foam the, uh, stuff is just kind of degraded and... It's just a pile of goo, yeah. Well, I, yeah. I've seen somebody, I've seen someone unbox one online after thirty years, and it's pretty much uh, all congealed and stuff like that. But yeah, Ken <laughs> Kelly did all the artwork for the Bangalore, and uh, one of our first inspirations is when we we love that toy line so much, and it has that very H.P. Lovecraft feel to it because it's you know kind of dark, kind of monstrous, and and kind mm -hmm. of unusual even for a toy line at that time. Yeah, there were no real heroes in that line. No, it was all monsters pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, there weren't too many of those. 
getting to work with Ken was a total uh, was a total dream come true. Like, uh, I mean, we are not exaggerating when like when we were making all of our um, our mood boards and kind of like putting together all of our inspiration pieces. There was so much of his work that was that was included, and when he uh, agreed to work on the project, that was a that was a huge milestone in the in the course of the project, um, just because of everything that Ken had done previously. You know, being able to work with him and him still painting um, on canvas, you know, as opposed to working on a computer, and just the history and and of the projects that he's done, uh, it was. It was great. It, we we felt like it, it just brought more of that magic to this project and made it made it kind of uh, help to uh, authenticate you know the the retroness of it uh, in the minds of uh, like our consumers. Yeah, and you can definitely feel the artistry in a painted piece. It's like having a modern movie poster versus a Drew Struzan painted poster. Exactly. Oh, right on, man. Exactly. Right on. Yeah, that it just it makes a difference. You can just feel it. And you think of someone of Ken's quality, some uh, Ken's caliber, and all the famous things he's done. But he was the most professional, the most like collaborative uh, guy we could have even asked for. He he would send us sketches, and then we would send stuff back, and he'd literally tape it right up there, and and take our sketch and incorporate it right into the painting. And you mean you want to talk about geeking out? Heaven, you're sketching a Ken Kelly painting. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah, that's a nice little scene that he put together for the packaging with, you know, the group of cultists, which is always nice. You want to show multiples, so that way people buy more figures. Multiple cultists, (laughs) multiple deep ones. (laughs) We definitely took a lot of direction from the old TSR packages where they're on the back, they'd have them kind of in a scene, and you would kind of see them in an action pose or, or a story was kind of unfolding that way yeah. it would give the kids kind of a starting point like oh this is what's happening and i'm going to recreate this now with my figures mm-hmm. so. yeah right i mean all the you know all the representations uh of them in the the paintings the figure could never do what you saw in those pictures you yeah. know it helped to it helped to create this world you know it, it helped to kind of uh kickstart your imagination so that when you're running around with these uh with these action figures uh you saw something way beyond what uh, the articulated figure could really do mm-hmm. but yeah it was a challenge you know that was a it was a tough composition on the back because it was so jam-packed you know and we wanted to have that scene in there and there was so much to kind of represent and do uh it's challenging and ken ken was a pro he he totally pulled it off and it looks it looks beautiful yeah the color palette's beautiful too thanks those those oranges and stuff it really works yeah we you know that it just worked so well with the you know that is a color palette from that that late 70s early Mm. 80s and uh it worked there was a lot of thought that went into that choosing that color just because of the 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 you know cthulhu really pops on on that color and we you know we we worked on making the deep ones that kind of aqua green you know that bluish green uh and and the the red cultist it's just all all the figures really work nicely on that backdrop too yeah yeah, they stand out nicely. You know, it almost looks like it could be the cover for like a 70s uh, paperback novel. Yeah. 
It's great. Cool. Yeah, who did the designs for the shirts? Well, we did. Warpo did. I worked on those, and uh, you know that. Uh, of course, that's Ken's painting. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, but the frames and yeah, the, I I did the the layout of the the iron on tees, and then Tommy did the uh, the drawings of the you it's know handsome the, guys, the, the models. We the, wanted to look right out of a, a JC Penny catalog. Yeah. yeah. Now, Dan, I, I'm sure you've seen the commercial. What did you think of that? I like that a lot. That was uh, <laughs> great. It felt just sort of odd that, yeah, I guess it would be advertised for kids. I mean, it, in, in yep. our reality, yes. it's going to be adults who are buying these. But, yeah, they would have a kid playing with it. And little kids talking about cultists is just sort of weird. <laughs> yeah, you know, and that's that was... That was another like just thing that just was so um, like uh, like kismet with with like choosing H.P. Lovecraft and and doing this this storyline at that time because um, I don't know if you remember but especially when when He Man was popular there was this whole satanic panic that was oh, kind of yeah. going on in culture with uh, Dungeons and Dragons being popular and uh, you know. Uh, Christian groups kind of uh, being opposed to uh, uh, cartoon advertising, you know, car- mm-hmm. cartoons uh, kind of selling to our kids, and especially like the sword and sorcery element of He-Man. So there was a lot of that kind of like uh, sorcery and witchcraft and and that kind of stuff going on. So again, it kind of feels like uh, a company could have could have gone that route with with choosing hp lovecraft's universe and kind of fitting it in with uh, during that time where we, we knew when we were making the commercial that people were going to get kind of get a kick out of it that you yeah. know that wow you know they're really that's that's kind of taking it to a new level but we wanted to do it in 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 a serious enough serious enough way that uh that it was believable too you mm-hmm. know that's a uh, uh, we're, we're really proud of that commercial. The the uh, Patrick, the the guy over at Loose Cannon that that worked with us on it, he did an amazing job. He um, he he actually shot that commercial and then recorded it onto a VHS tape and then played it back through a VCR and messed with the tracking and then pulled that back into his computer. So that's not digitally uh, edited any of that skipping or the tracking. I mean, it's really it's actually from from a VHS. Uh, transfer oh, he even excellent. went so far as to buy spe- uh, specific uh, lenses and stuff from that time period to kind of really get like a lot more flaring and get that dinginess kind of look to it that it would look like when they use cameras and stuff like that back then oh that's really attention to detail i love that that's <laughs> yeah, what we're all about attention to detail yep and I noticed it didn't take long for your one level that has that mountain prop from the commercial to go Yes, that was cool. It's yeah. a beautiful mountain. That was great. That was great. The um, I don't know if you know this, but Eric was the was the father in that commercial. Oh, <laughs> I didn't really compare the pictures of you guys online with the. He's got a wig on, so we'll uh, give you a pass. Yeah, yeah. No one recognizes me without my wig. I knew I shouldn't have worn it. <laughs> you, you have no choice but to grow your hair out now, Eric. Oh. <laughs> It's funny, too. We were all sitting around trying to figure out what Eric was going to wear, and we had one of the meetings at my parents' house, 
And after our meeting, we just went up into my dad's closet and just rummaged around a little bit, and we found that that sweater. <laughs> like this is perfect. Yeah. It, uh, Tommy's dad was unsure on how to take that, you know, uh, whether it was a compliment or <laughs> if, if he should be, uh, you know, offended. But well, let me tell you, he snatched that sweater back up when we were done. Yes, <laughs> he's got plans for it. Yeah, keep your eyes peeled on eBay. <laughs> and who's the uh, kid that was in there? Is he an actor or something? That's actually my son. Oh, yeah, that's cool. my son. So that's why we played so well together. Excellent. Yeah, he, uh, Eric's son is, uh, you know, of course he's been trained from birth uh, to be a collector, <laughs> uh, but he was amazing uh, during that commercial. Like he, you know, he was so excited building up to it and he him and eric worked on the lines like i was i i both me and eric have worked on you know doing toy commercial shoots and they're the most stressful things ever like trying oh, yeah. to work with kid models it's mm-hmm. like you know you you've got this a huge crew and you've got you know a limited amount of time and you're trying to get this right thing to happen and usually the kid does not want to be there but with Eric's son it was a completely different experience like he was like so you know excited to be there and of course he was a kid so there were times where we had to you know say hey pay attention but at the same time he uh, he knew all all of his lines like we he it wasn't where he would just stop and say what am i supposed to say again you know he knew all of his lines and he just he did an amazing job so uh it, it, that was we really lucked out in in you yeah, know having definitely. eric and, and xander uh work on on the commercial the My, hardest part was keeping the the prototypes out of his hands because he exactly. wanted to keep playing with them <laughs> I was going to just say that, like, the biggest the biggest uh, compliment, too, was he was our first critic, and as soon as we took those toys out of their, uh, the protective box that we had him, he just loved them, and he just wanted to play with them, and it, it really, it really sold home that we did our homework and we did the job right, because he was so excited about them. And he probably knows a little more than the average eight-year-old about the Cthulhu mythos, but, uh, <laughs> but it just proved that, you know, you know, maybe this could have happened back then. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Proof's in the pudding. Yeah, a perfect uh, example. I think, Eric, you had told me that Xander started uh, reading a lot more because you told him that uh, a dungeon master has to... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> has to be well read or be able to do a lot of reading you know and uh you know for an eight-year-old he's definitely he definitely know has some some uh geek cred for sure oh, for sure that's awesome <laughs> oh he is going to be a uh a king among his peers <laughs> the geeky yeah. ones at least <laughs> one way or another that is terrific Cool. So, what else? Uh, what else uh, did did we miss, Dan? I'm looking at your uh, stretches here. You've already re- revealed the translucent, uh, the was it conjured Cthulhu, which is very cool. It's yep. kind of a Force Ghost figure from a Star Wars line. Right on. I like that. It the the good use of repaints is definitely a uh, good idea. Well, all um, that texture that Eddie was able to add in there, still keeping it authentic to the era is just going to look amazing in the clear plastic because every little light, you know, the light's going to pick up on every little uh, nuance he added to the texture of his body and the wings and the head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I, I'm curious as to what you're going to do for the professor's repaint. You showed us what the 
repaint of the cultist is going to be. The head cultist in black with red instead of the red with black. But the repaint of the professor is going to... That one's intriguing. And then, of course, you have the very mysterious uh, <laughs> 200,001, which is the same silhouette as the star spawn, but it's much bigger. So that kind of gives the impression of, okay, same figure scaled up or something entirely new. Except it's exciting. I can't. I can't wait to see what it is either. <laughs> I cannot wait. Yeah. Yeah. Well. So will you show I'll, us him I'll, whenever the professor's repaint finally gets uh, reached? Yeah, we'll probably um, uh, we'll probably reveal the the two hundred thousand k stretch goal add on a little bit earlier yeah you know mm-hmm. uh, just because we've had so many people uh emailing and and commenting about uh their thoughts on it and what what it is you know that we we don't want to you know we don't we don't want to be cruel uh but uh yeah it's something that you know when of course as we were developing the product line there's you know you, you start this list or start talking about all the things that you could do. And there's all those, you know, wouldn't it be cool if kind of things. Yeah. Uh, and this was definitely one of those things, but, uh, but it's, it's a, it's going to be a, a taxing, uh, it's going to be a really tough, uh, thing to, to execute, uh, mm-hmm. it, beyond what we're already doing so we just wanted to make sure that you know the community was there and definitely was excited and and wanted to wanted something like uh like this that we're going to put out there uh and uh, i mean i want to see it happen because i want one on my shelf you know with these figures too uh and it's going to be worth the you know all the effort that we put into it uh so we're excited we just have to stay tuned and hopefully we can uh hopefully we can hit that goal. Yeah. But yeah. like you you don't want to hear that mm-hmm. stay tuned answer Dan, I know. Yeah. But I can tell you that uh the stretch goal number 3 is huh? not a straight repaint. Oh. A little bit of retooling. So, you'll, you'll that's all I'll say. Okay. <laughs> yes, I you've done a nice job with keeping well like i mentioned before keeping the restraint on there with the stretches even because yeah i i've seen in many cases where stretch goals wind up just making the the whole campaign completely untenable because you're then paying production costs for so many of these extra cool goodies the uh yeah, a lot of times a, the stretch goals are almost better than the actual thing yeah, yeah. um so let's keep the focus on how great these four figures are, right? <laughs> and then the other stuff is gravy on top of that. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, and hopefully this winds up being successful enough that you're able to later on do, you know, okay, let's run some other figures and later on we'll do a series two. If it all lines up, that's what we're ready to do. So Awesome. It just has we've gotta have that response. We've gotta have that that need to warrant it. You know how it goes? Mm-hmm. Were there any other uh points you guys wanted to bring up specifically and make sure we covered all the 
stuff you wanted to I think cover we've covered Lauren? it all. I mean, one of the main things that uh, we just wanted to get out there was thank you uh, for your support and yeah, uh, for the whole HP Lovecraft community's support. Uh, everyone's been uh, uh, really welcoming to the Legends of Cthulhu line, and uh, we're, we're totally excited to get these things on on everyone's shelves. And uh, just the, the outpouring of... Uh, positive feedback that we've been getting from the community has been awesome. So thanks, Dan. Thank you for, you know, for, for your support also. Oh, absolutely. We love sharing cool new things that are coming out that, you know, just bring more love and attention to not only just our role-playing game that we are focused on for the show, but just the whole general Lovecraftian fan community. You said it, Dan. There's so many people have been keeping this alive like we were saying, without real mass market stuff. But it's yeah. still a, a major viable uh, community, and our Kickstarter really has shown that. Yeah, especially once Lovecraft went into public domain. That was kind of an explosion point. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because then anybody could start producing without having to worry about somebody else complaining about it. Right. You know, he, he was such a forward-thinking person, though, too, encouraging people to write within his Definitely. world. Definitely. Mm-hmm. So, like, he's so ahead of his time, and I feel like finally his kind of thinking is just catching up now. It's like, uh, you know, desktop publishing and, and that kind of thing. He was way ahead of his time in that kind of thinking. Yeah. Right, with Creative Commons licensing. Yeah, he was open source. Yeah, right. Exactly. exactly. Well, thanks for your time, Dan. We totally yeah. appreciate it. Thanks for thanks for reaching out to us. And uh, if uh, if you guys need anything else, you know... Feel free to feel free to reach out to uh, Warpo, and uh, uh, and thanks. Yeah, keep your thank eyes on you. the, uh, keep your eyes on the Kickstarter. Let's see where it goes. Absolutely. Do we want to say warpo.com forward slash Kickstarter? Yes, we do. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> warpo.com forward slash Kickstarter. Do that one more time, Brian. Warpo.com forward slash Kickstarter. love to hear from our listeners and we got lots of different ways you guys can get in touch with us our main <laughs> contact email address is feedback at mu-podcast.com we also have a twitter account at mu underscore podcast and you can join our rec channel on the feedback page of the website we have a providence rhode island voicemail number area code 401-400-MUP that's 401-400-0687 or you can use the SpeakPipe link located on the website. Ask us a question, leave us a liner, say who you are, and I'm enrolled at the Miskatonic University podcast. And give us a hearty go pods for our home team, the Fighting Cephalopods. Our website is mu-podcast.com, and you can find our show notes for this episode at mu-podcast.com slash 58. That's the number 58. Our forums are at mu-podcast.com forward slash campus. Come join the community and be part of the conversation. Thank you for joining us for another episode. Class is dismissed. Oh, happy Father's Day, everyone. Uh, yes, you too. You guys too. And everyone listening. <laughs> and I'm Cooper Chad. Glad to have you here.
our forums are at mu-podcast.com forward slash campus. Come give, uh, come join the community and be part of the conversation. Come give us the community. Give us the community. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you're being really mean, like give us the community or if you're being like a, uh, a strange, simple-minded, give us the community. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> I mean, I was in love with him. 